grace, amazing grace. That's how we come around the table today. Each of us are able to come to God, not through anything we have done, but through all that Jesus has done. He died for your sin. He died in your place. And we come here as sinners saved by grace. So as you come to this table, come, not because you may, not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Come not because any goodness of your own gives you a right to come, but because you need mercy and help. Come because you love the Lord a little and would like to love him more. Come because he loved you and gave himself for you. Come and meet the risen Christ. For we are his body. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. As we gather around this table, remembering Christ's death and his resurrection and the amazing grace that brings to our life, we come with thankfulness. And Bob's going to lead us now um, as we come to pray. Thanks, Bob. just have a, a thought to share with you before we pray. Um, death is not a pleasant thing that... We usually don't like to remember um, death, but um, Christ uh, tells us that uh, he, he says we should do this in remembrance of him. But there is a balance in our remembering. And he tells us that in, um, in Hebrews, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, the joy that was set before him endured the cross, and so, as we remember, we also, as Paul said, should eagerly look forward to that day. We are told in John that um, the return of Jesus Christ is the blessed hope of the church and of every Christian. Christ not only died for us, but he rose again and ascended into heaven. And one day soon, he'll be back to take us to be with him. And so we should have that expectant joy. Today we are not all that we should be, but we know that when we see him, we will be like him, and we find joy in that. Let's pray. Lord, as we do remember your death and, and the cost of the sacrifice that you made so that we might have eternal life with you, we come with grateful hearts, thanking you, Lord, that in your body you bore the penalty for our sin that in your blood we are washed clean and made white as snow. And Lord, we just pray that we would come with hearts that are right before you this morning and ask that you would cleanse us and purify us and renew us by the presence of your Spirit. Father, we thank you for the gift and we thank you for your faithfulness, Jesus, and your love. We ask that you would bless this time now. In your precious name we pray. Amen.
Paul uh, said in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, for the tradition which I hand on to you came to me from the Lord Jesus himself. Then on the night of his arrest, he took bread and after giving thanks, God broke it. Uh, giving thanks to God, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in memory of me. And then he said, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in memory of me. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The invitation is for all who love Christ and have put their faith in him to share in this meal. And as you're served, would you take a piece of bread and eat it as you're served, thanking God that he died for you, Jesus died for you. And as you also serve the cup, take it and hold it, and we'll drink that together, a reminder that we're part of his family, one in Christ. Let's share this meal together. Sunday, which provides some great opportunities for us. You remember we've gone through the book of Job together and we've asked over four weeks why bad things happen to good people and we realised you know, that God wants us to praise him in the midst of whatever circumstances we're going through. And then last week we had Phil Weeks, uh, our youth and young adults pastors, give us a fabulous message which was both challenging and, and uh, you know, encouraging about walking in the light and you know, admitting our sin and confessing it, at the same time living in the joy of knowing God's grace. And it was just an incredible message last week. Thanks, Phil. Uh, and I know you were blessed by it. And then next week, we've got Mother's Day, and we're just wanting all of you to bring your mothers along, or if you're a mum, to say, look, it's lunch at our place, and kids, you've all got to come and bring everybody along. And we've got a special service ready for next week where we're just going to honour you as mums, and we're going to honour your mum if you bring her as well. And Gail's speaking next week, so we're excited about that. And then after that, we've got three weeks on our church's vision. And I've just got to say, I don't think I've ever been as excited about those three weeks uh, um, than any other kind of message series. Uh, it's been a while where together the deacons and the staff, and uh, we've been talking over a few years now, uh, thinking about what God might be saying to us as a church. And as we've had some different groups with different leaders, uh, I've just sensed that this is uh, God at work. And as I think about that, I'm excited. So don't miss those three weeks. But here we've got one Sunday right here. And I thought, what am I going to do today? And I, I thought, what an opportunity to just do something which I think might be some of the m most keys that help people grow into Christ-likeness. I can remember when I was at AMP, um, working at about 25 years old, reading a book, and it was called uh, how, to, how to Be Successful in Business, Everything You've Heard is Wrong. And I was, I was thinking about how I'd be successful and how I'd be able to manipulate things and so I could make a lot of money and be really successful. And this book was written by Tony Campolo. And I remember halfway through the book, he asked some questions. He said, if you're going to be the kind of person you want to be in 10 years, what kind of person would that be? And I'd just been reading books like Keith Green's No Compromise. I'd been reading uh, Spurgeon's Autobiography. I've been reading a book about a guy called Charles Finney. I've been reading some other books where I thought, oh, God, these people are just so committed to you and so godly. I just want to be that person in 10 years, someone so committed. And 
10 years have come and gone. <laughs> it has still got a long, long way to go. But I just thought if there were just a couple of things that I thought I could share with you, kind of, I've called them secrets, you know, because they're not the first things that come up in people's minds when you think about them. Uh, but I just want to share two things in the time we've got remaining that I think if you do these with a real open heart and, a, and the right kind of attitude, that you will grow in Christ-likeness, I, I believe, faster than you would ever have imagined. It's a long journey and I've got a long way to go, but I, I really think these two things are important. I was at a 40th birthday just over this weekend down in Melbourne and I was talking to a guy who I hadn't seen for about 10 years and I said to him and his wife, great to see you, how are you going? Really good, really good. And I, I said, how's the church going? And they both went, oh, it just, you know how it's kind of awkward moment? And, I, and he said, oh, you know, and his wife said, he hardly ever goes anymore. And I said, oh, really? She said, yeah, I have to drag him if he goes. And I said to him, I said, you know, was it the church or was it God? And he said, well, you know, it was kind of, kind of God. And I said, what happened? What's happened? You know, he said, well, I think I kind of looked at people and I saw that my people at work were just the same as people at the church. And he said, you know, I, I felt disillusioned by that. And he said, and I spent time, you know, saying, God, speak to me. And he said, I just don't feel like I experienced him. It was kind of one of those moments where I said, this is kind of awkward for you guys, I can tell. But do you mind if we just keep talking a little bit about it? And he gave me permission and we talked a little bit. And as I was, we were investigating that a bit more together, it dawned on me that the two things, the two secrets I want to share with you today speak right into his circumstance. And I believe if he had done these things regularly, he wouldn't be where he is now. I said I'd pray for him, and I will. Uh, but I just think these two secrets are so important that you're going to be so glad you came. And in 10 years, who knows where you might be in your Christ-likeness. Let's just take a look at this for a moment. Mandy told me I should take these out, she, but this is what I really wear at home. I, I just thought these two secrets were so important that I would, should I even get in my pyjamas just so that you can remember them. Uh, I think the first secret to growing quickly and rapidly in Christ-likeness is communicating with God every day, daily. Spending time with him daily. Uh, it said, you know, the amount of time we spend doing things together, uh, doing different things that seem to have little effect. But if we can pull aside regularly to have a daily time with God, communicating with him, I just think the differences in your and my life would be absolutely incredible. So you know what I decided to do? take a risk with you. You, you. Last time you saw these were at the Christmas musical. <laughs> but today, I just thought I would show you why this one's a secret and I'd blow a secret on you. Th this secret is so much of one that people don't realise is because no one ever sees what you do 
in the quietness of your own home on a normal day. So, this morning, imagine this is the Stark household. It's uh, six o'clock in the morning, and I'm just starting my quiet time. Here you go, honey. Here's a cup oh, of coffee. Thank you, honey. <laughs> That, that part never happens. <laughs> but I'm hoping that was prophetic. <laughs> now, what happens in our, our house, both Mandy and I get up 10 to 6, the alarm goes off, the snooze button, and we sleep for another 10 minutes. We just have a bit of getting ready. And then at 6 o'clock... It's not always the same. Uh, we have a problem in our house. We've got two little uh, girls. One's six, about to be seven, Georgia, and Alex is nine. And uh, they're not at the age where we can leave them in the house by themselves. And I've shared with you about my bodybuilding exercises. And Mandy, too, loves to do exercise as well. So some mornings, Mandy will go out for her exercise while I have my uh, quiet times. And on other mornings, I'll go out first while Mandy has exercise as well. She meets with different people for walks as well. So it's not always the same time. I think it's helpful if you can get the same time to do that. Um, I think it helps a lot. But this is simply what I do. I just thought the best way is rather than to teach you a whole lot of information is just to try and show you what I do. And uh, I suppose the heart behind this is that you might uh, remember kind of some of it and remember some of the principles and I'm hoping that it might encourage you to at least give it a a go, having a quiet time. Now, this is not the only way to have them. There are as many ways to have daily devotions as there are um, ways to have a day. And um, this is what I I do. Last year, we gave out at Christmas time, uh, read through the Bible in a year uh, guides. And I have this in my little uh, journal, which is here. So the weapons that I bring to my quiet time are my journal, um, my Bible, and my pen, which, Mandy, I think I've left down there on uh, where I am. Is that right? If I'm not. Yeah, thank you. Great. So these are the things that I, um, I have uh, in the morning as I begin. And there's just a few simple things that I do in these times. The first thing I do is pray. And the first prayer that I pray is just a simple one. It's, it's a prayer of praise. And I just thank God for who he is. And I can think about anything. There's no set ways. So sometimes I say, God, I thank you that you're the creator of the heavens and earth and that you're right here with me now and you're listening to me. It's a very short prayer. You know, one minute, no more. Just acknowledging an aspect of God's character. God, I thank you. You're a God of justice. And this morning I come to you because you're just. Thank you, God, that you're listening to me now. Or it might be, God, I thank you for your grace, your forgiveness, eternal life, the promises that you've given me, your word. I love you. I praise you. Thank you. Just something simple. Less than a minute. And I sort of have a big breath and say, God, in this time that I'm now spending, would you speak to me? Would you speak to me, God? Just acknowledging his presence and asking him to speak. The next thing that I do is go to the scripture. 
And in my journal, you probably won't be able to see this from there, but all, all I do is across the top of my journal, write, I write uh, Sunday, the 4th of April, 2000, oh, 4th of May, I wrote April here. We're, I'm a month behind in my head. The 4th of May, 2008. And then I write the scripture that I'm up to for the day. And uh, today's one, if you're doing it this year and you're going through the Bible in a year, happens to be 2 Kings chapter 9 to 10. So since we're all doing this together, why don't you turn with me to 2 Kings uh, and chapters 9 to 10. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. We've gone a long way, haven't we? 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. And so 2 Kings, chapters 9 and 10. And this is just the one today. You know, it's not the one I'd pick, but I thought I've got to be as real as I can with you. So we're going to see a bit of blood and guts here this morning. And uh, you're going to hear a, a little bit about it. But basically what I would do at this time is just write an S on my journal and do a circle around it. And then I'd read the scriptures. And what I'm doing is I'm reading these two passages for today, two chapters, is I'm saying, God, what timeless truth, what kind of principle are you wanting me to know about today? And what are you wanting to speak to me from? Now, I'll just give you a quick run through without getting into too much detail about this because we'll get a, a bit lost if we do. But in this passage, uh, in chapter 9, Jehu is anointed king of Israel. Now what happens is Elisha gets a prophet and he says to this prophet, I want you to go to Jehu and I want you to say this. This is verse 3. Take the flask and pour the oil on his head and declare, this is what the Lord says, I anoint you king over Israel, then open the door and run. Don't delay. So this prophet goes from Elisha the prophet, runs, runs over and finds Jehu, who is a commander uh, who used to be, have Ahab as his master, and he comes to him. And, and uh, what happens is the prophet does exactly what Elisha has asked, anoints him with oil and says uh, these words, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, this is verse 6, I anoint you king over the Lord's people, Israel. You are to destroy the house of Ahab, your master, and I will avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the Lord's servants shed by Jezebel. Now, it sounds a bit nasty that he would do that, but if you've been reading through the Bible in a year, you'll remember back in 1 Kings 22, they said this statement about Ahab, and it said, there was never a man, this is 1, 1 Kings 21 and verse 25, it says, there was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner going after idols. So this guy was a, a nasty man who led God's people astray doing untold evil things. And so what happens is Jehu is anointed king and he's given the instruction to avenge the blood of Ahab who had done so much destruction. And so at this time, the people that are on the, king, on the kings, on the thrones of Israel is 
Joram, he's a king of Israel, and Ahaziah is a king of Judah. And these um, are people that Jehu now as king, uh, so, so what happens? The prophet comes in, anoints him as king. He comes out and all his mates say to him, what did that prophet guy do? And he said, oh, nothing. He's just a crazy old prophet. And they said, no, come on. What did he really say? And he said, well, he said that I'm king. The Lord's anointing me as king. And so they all put things down. They blew trumpets. They crowned him as king. And then Jehu went and killed Joram and Ahaziah, uh, the king of Israel and the king of Judah. And then he started, continued in killing people and he killed Jezebel as well, who was, a, who was Ahab's wife and a horrible lady too. And then Ahab's sons who had carried on in his tradition, there was about 70 uh, princes and they were all killed as well. It's getting pretty tough here, isn't it? And then what he said is he said, now, gee, he said, now, you know, I, you used to worship Baal a little. I'm worshipping a lot. Get all these priests of Baal, come into the, to the uh, place, offer a sacrifice. And then while they were all in there, he killed them all. And uh, this is the word of the Lord. So when I'm sitting here on my uh, couch in my jammies in the morning, I read this and I think, wow, God, uh, I wonder what you're speaking to me from in this passage today. So as I look back and I just scan my eyes back over what I've just read, I think, what, what are you saying? And I try to limit myself just to one verse. And on this particular day, I've chosen the verse uh, 2 Kings 9 and verse 3. And I sort of wrote here as I wrote out this verse. Elisha said to a prophet, and then I wrote the verse. Then take the flask and pour the oil on his head and declare, this is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and run. Don't delay. For me, that was a verse that jumped out and I, I, that was the one I chose. And the second thing I do after writing an S and writing the verse next to it is I write an O and zero around it. So kind of like circle the O. And so S stands for scripture the O stands for observation. And what I do here is kind of observe what I see in this verse that I feel is the one that I want to focus on for the day. And so here's my observations as I look at that verse and the context around it. I just wrote, God's word, Elisha gave to the prophet. The prophet acted on them and declared them to Jehu, and they came to be. One word from God and things come to be. A commander becomes king. The king who has disobeyed God is overthrown and the king of Judah and all his family are destroyed. God is completely able to do what he wants. He's sovereign. He's able and nothing can thwart his purposes. So for me, as I read that verse, the sovereignty of God comes through so clearly. What he says happens and is carried out. Then what I do is I observe that. And you might think of other things that you observe about the passage. And, um, you know, there's a lot of times during this passage where it says, and this happened as the word of the Lord had said it would, you know. And a lot of this is coming through in this passage. But once I've done that, I, I just write A 
and do a circle around the A. So we're making the word soap here in those bold letters. And the A is application. So now I've understood what this scripture is. I've tried to observe some things that have happened in it. And then I say, so God, what does this mean to me today? What are you saying to me? Sometimes it might be, uh, I might be saying, God, I realise you're prompting me and convicting me about a sin in my life. Or God, you're wanting me to act in a certain way with courage and, and wanting to do this. Or God, you're wanting me to speak to this way. On this day, this is what I, I, I wrote. Uh, I realise, God, that my life is in your hand. I'm at your mercy. I'm at the mercy of your will. And I also realise, God, that I must do your will. You know, I thought about all those people that didn't do God's will and what happened to them. And I thought, God, I, want, I, I must do your will, not my own. You have placed me in a key role of leadership in your church, Father. Help me to do your sovereign will. They're just my application. So this is saying, God, I want to do what you want, not what I want. And then the final thing is prayer. Uh, in the application, it's always good to try and find one specific thing that you can do more about. And uh, in, in this particular day, um, I, I think it's actually trusting and recognising God's sovereignty in my life and making us concerted effort to do that. The final thing is prayer. And I put all that I've done into a simple prayer. And here I just write, I praise you, Father, that you are in control. You are able to bring about your purposes. I say yes to you no matter what. I will do your will. I will follow. Thank you that you use ordinary people to follow you and do your will. I know I'm ordinary, just like Jehu was a commander and God uh, raised him up to bring about his purposes. All that for me just fits on one page and I try and stick to one page. I just try and say, you know, uh, basically a day to a page is what I try and work on. And then at the end of that, take great delight in this, and some of you who love ticking boxes can do this too, is I just get my little thing and I tick, I've done that reading for the day. Oh, isn't that <laughs> nice? Now, the other thing that happens then is I have intercessory prayer. So in the moments that follow, um, I pray for different things. And in, in this time, I pray for my wife, for my kids. I pray for the church. Uh, sometimes I'll be talking with people and like the guy last night at the party, I said to him, I will pray for you. These are the times when I pray for people that I've promised to pray for them with. I think of people who are sick. I think of people who are um, needing prayer. Now, I've got to say, this is not a long list for me. I'm not kind of... Uh, someone who systematically prays for the same things all the time. But I really say, God, you know, what are the things that are on the top of my heart that, you want, that I want to pray about today, that I need to pray about? And then that's, that's it. I thank God for listening. I thank, thank him for what he's told me and I go about my day. Now, I just want to say a few things uh, uh, um, for you to know. I'm not telling you this... Um, just because I think it's a great idea. The reason why I make this a priority in my life is simply because Jesus did. And I, I kind of think about this. I think if Jesus is a sinless son of God, you know, and he spent time every day communicating with him, look what it says in Mark 1.35, very early in the morning, 
while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, I pray, and Mandy and I do that in the morning. Uh, we don't do that in the morning with our kids. We found that our kids love to stay up longer. And we kind of use that to our advantage uh, mercilessly, don't we, honey? Uh, they will love to stay up longer to read their Bibles and pray. Um, if we, uh, and so therefore they really enjoy it. So we pray with them and have a quiet time. They, they have those times at night just before they go to bed. And it's just simple time that they do every night. So it's not, I don't think Jesus is saying that you have to do it every morning or every time, but you need to spend time. And he made it a priority in his busy life when he was the sinless son of God. And I think, wow, it's good enough for me if he did that. The other thing is that Jesus actually specifically asks us to. Look what he says in Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, not if you pray or if you sometimes get the chance to pray, but when you pray, he says, and he says, go to your room. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Now, what they're saying is get in a place where you're not going to be disrupted. Get into a place where you know you are going to be able to go deep into the word of God and pray to him and have communion with him, to hear from him, to, to speak with him. And, and I think this is what Jesus is saying. Pray, do this, close the door, get a time. He commands it. And then I think... The next thing is that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Look what it says in Matthew 6. Then your father who sees what he's done in secret will reward you. How will he reward you? I've found he rewards me by speaking to me through his word. I've found that he rewards me through moments of clear direction where I think he's saying something and I act on that. Uh, sometimes he rewards me by convicting me. You know, um, by now... Uh, I've been doing this for about four or five years and I've been through the Bible four times through the New International, I've done it in the Message Bible, I've done it in the New Living Translation, in the NRSV and now again this year in the NIV again. And you know what? I'm just starting to feel like more and more I understand the Bible better and I'm getting to learn more and more about God's Word in a way that would never have happened if I hadn't been doing this every day. I think they're the rewards when you see sin or you understand sin in your own life, you're able to be to challenge that. Um, I, I want to just say a couple of quick little things. If you're not doing this at all, I want to challenge you, please, to consider doing it. And I want to tell you, don't think that just because what I've showed you today, you have to do it. If you're not doing it all, what, my advice is to start small and increase in your time. You know, I think if you're not doing it all, uh, wouldn't it be great just to be able to say, I'll have 10 minutes, you know. I'll do one chapter a day or I'll do one portion a day. And maybe you might just like to write a little bit down about what you feel God's saying to you from that passage. And if you can do that for 10 minutes for a week or two weeks, then why not go to 15? I mean, if you're doing that, you're building a habit and it's starting. And then after 15, you might go to 20. And you could continue to build that as it happens, I think our biggest problem is being, oh, we've got to do this, bang, I'm going to get it and have a big hour. And then we think, oh, I failed. I'll give that up. I think it's pretty um, 
not very good that way. So I want to encourage you to do that. The other thing is don't copy. You know, this is what I'm doing at the moment. I haven't done it all the time. I've done it you know, for the last four years. But before that, I did all different things. Mandy does a completely different thing. She doesn't use soap at all. Uh, she goes through a, a commentary, uh, which is kind of like a book. <laughs> what did I say then? Soap at all. Oh. <laughs> Don't quote that. <laughs> but she, she has a commentary uh, from a, 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 a great Bible author and she reads the passages herself and studies them using this, this commentary and finds that very helpful. Bill Hybels, who's um, a pastor, you know, he's, he's now trying saturation, a chapter, verse, Bible saturation. So he spends uh, a whole year, last year, in... Romans 12 and just read that every day, memorised it, studied it every day of the year. This year he's doing Romans 8. I think the main point I want you to get is communicating with God every day and putting a moment aside is an incredible way to grow in Christ-likeness. Got that? Good. Great. (laughs) Now the other thing I just want to say is persist. Persist. You won't see answers overnight and the guy last night who I was talking to he said you know oh, look God just doesn't hasn't res- spoken to me of course there are times when I don't feel like he speaks anything to me in those times although you know it's helpful reading God's word anyway but sometimes I don't feel like there's things that are dropping from uh, heaven or God speaking to me but every now and again those things happen and it's wonderful now Sandy and I debated this moment whether I should go and get changed but We're going to take a risk and I'm going to do this next point, the second secret, in my pyjamas still. So if you can handle it, I'm up for it too. I think the second thing that is absolutely a a secret that most people don't realise the value of, but when they do, it has enormous effects in people's lives, is the secret of gathering together in community. I think... Gathering together with God's people is something that we underestimate the value of so often. And yet I think it's one of the things that is one of the fastest ways of helping us grow. And I just want to share with you um, some of the things. The main thing I think today that we find is that you guys... uh, come to church, and today you're thinking, Jonathan, we're here, we do come. But one of the things that I've found is many people don't come regularly to church. And you might say, Jonathan, you're preaching to the choir. You know, we're here. We're the good ones. We're here today. But the truth is, in a year where, where there's 52 weeks in a Sunday, you think you come regularly, but you know what? You don't. I'm going to show you why. Uh, You think out of 52, you come a lot of the time. But what happens is each person has four weeks annual leave. And I know you don't come when you're on annual leave. Most of you are travelling around or you you do that. So there's four weeks where you're not, um, when you're not here. And then you you say, okay, all right, all right, Jonathan, annual leave, we're away. But everyone should be away on annual leave. That's, That's all right. But what about public holidays? You know when you, we have a Monday off and things like that and you think we'll just go off to Sydney or Melbourne or we'll go away for the long weekend? You know, there's six of those that happen and you think, I don't do that 
but we know you do. <laughs> Public holidays, six of them happen. Then there's times when you think, oh, this never happens to us. But if you look back over the last 12 months, most of you have had three Sundays away when you've been sick, you know? Or your kids have been sick. Or your dog's been sick or someone's been <laughs> sick. And so you haven't been here on that time. And then this is almost too embarrassing to admit, and I don't react when I say this, but some of you come because you don't like the speaker. You don't come. Yeah, you don't come. Thanks, Mandy. Some of you don't come because you don't like the topic. Ooh, this is painful, isn't it? And then some of you, just out of sheer rebellion, <laughs> stay home because you think you can. All right? <laughs> now, if we're to add all of those days up, it comes to 20 weeks out of a 52-week that you're not here. Is that surprising to you? Yeah. We miss, I miss you. <laughs> we really do miss you. But you know what um, the staggering thing is too, is that one of the things that we've noticed is that when you're not here, you know who else doesn't come? You, your kids. Your kids don't come. Because they don't get a choice in whether they can come or not. And I was talking to a pastor of a church where they really watched their statistics and figures. And they can, they, he, he shared that their church remembered a time where four out of every four Sundays, a child came to their kids' church program. And then what happened, they remembered the year when the attendance, when a, the, a child came three out of every four Sundays. And then they remembered the year when it actually got to two out of four. And this pastor lamented uh, when he was sharing this that currently at their church, 1.6 is the average attendance in a month of a child at their church. Now, I said to Joan when I heard that figure, Joan, is that true? And you know what she said? No, it wouldn't be as bad as that. So that's good, isn't it? She said, here, it wouldn't be as bad as that. But she did say that she has really noticed a decline in the consistency of our kids in Ch Kids Church in recent years. And at the moment, we currently have 200 active kids uh, on our roles that are regulars. And you know how many are here on any one given week? 110 to 115. So I think that's just a little over 50%, isn't it? 55, 60% maybe that come every week. Now let me ask you a question, multiple choice. I want you to respond in your mind. Is this situation terrible, disappointing, devastating, or all of the above? I think... Which one would you pick? All of the above. <laughs> Which one? Phone a friend. <laughs> That's right. I think we, if we put phone a friend, it would. But look, I know you need mercy, don't you? You need help for this. But this is what, it, this is what I think it is. Because the kids don't get a chance to, to actually choose whether they come or not. And, and we're deciding, and you know what? 
I think one of the helpful ways of thinking about this is if you, growing up, uh, came to church every single week, 100%, if you were taken to church as a child growing up every, every week, 100%, but you decided that for you, probably 60% is a good idea, and you started bringing your kids and, and you came along 60% every, every, every week, what do you think is going to happen to the kids when they grow up? Any, any thought? I think if you had parents modelling 60% attendance, you'd find kids like this. And do you know what's going to happen to their kids? This is frightening. And I can't force you about these things. I can't, um, I, I can't get all mad with you and make you feel guilty about it. But I can plead with you. Uh, because the difference when uh, you came 100% and you come 100%, the most likely scenario is that your kids will come 100% and it will be consistent. Now, I, I'm, I don't want to... Uh, I'll beg and plead, and this is as far as I go, but I would love you to consider this secret of spiritual growth, of Christ-likeness. And I want to tell you, just briefly, because we're out of time, some reasons, just some clear reasons why I think that you should come every week and that you should consider that, doing that every single week. And the first reason is that Jesus himself attended church every single weekend. Did you know that? He was a regular attendant. Now, the reason we know that is Luke 14 says that Jesus went to the synagogue, to the place of worship, Luke 14, uh, Luke 4.16, as was his custom. He did it every, a customs, a habit, a regular thing that Jesus did. And you know what? I just want to say this really carefully. I think that it's the height of arrogance to think that we can choose not to do what Jesus did himself. You know, to say, oh, it's good enough. Jesus might have needed that, but I don't need that to keep growing uh, in my Christian life. Now, the second reason is that the scriptures clearly teach it. Uh, Hebrews 10, 23, uh, the writer says, do not give up the habit of meeting together. And they were facing persecution and they didn't want to give up meeting together. And so they said, we will be there. Come in, you know, no matter what, we'll be together. This is so important. So scripture teaches it. The New Testament too teaches that when God's people come together in the one place and we all worship God, I think it happened this morning, Sandy, when we just finished the heart of worship, that God is present in a very unique way where all of his people are together. I think that's one reason why we should continue to do that together. The other thing I think is that um, your mere presence here is an encouragement to every other believer here today. Did you know that? When you look around and you see one another, what you're saying is we value this and we're in, we, we want to encourage each other. And you know who else is encouraged? I am. You know, I spend time each week trying to uh, put together messages that will help you. And when I come and I see a church that's full and people ready to, to really listen and not saying, oh, well, I might or might not, it encourages me no end. I think these people are hungry. They're ready. They want to learn. And the final point 
I think, is that you leave your children a legacy that is so helpful to them. I think that point alone is worth pondering for a long, long time. So I don't want to beg or plead, but it's for you and your spiritual growth that you would spend time daily in God's word, communicating with him, praying, and that over time you will see the rewards coming your way for being diligent in that. And then you would just make it a priority. Now, look, I know some of you are thinking, is he saying that my caravan that I just bought and all those weeks I'm going to be away, I can't do that anymore? <laughs> Relief? I'm not saying that at all. What, what I am saying, obviously, you've earned that. You deserve to go away. What I'm saying, though, is when you do go away, don't forget this very important habit. And if you can, really seek to get with other Christians and encourage them and do that. And I know our castaways do that whenever they're away. Go to different churches and encourage them. What I'm saying is don't let this become an optional. And I know some of you have parents in, in, in Sydney and some in Melbourne and you want to get with them. I'm not saying don't ever meet with your parents. But what I am saying is if there's any way you can get back in time, then do it. Or if there's any way that you can um, you know, spend time with other Christians while you're away, really do it. Just don't think it's a take it or leave it, I can choose thing. This is so important for your growth and for the kids. So we've got all that? Two things. Now, look, I just would love you to think, what can I do today? What can I do tomorrow uh, to do this? Can I start small if I'm not doing it all? Can I really start to now do something regularly if I have been doing things for a while. We've got the how to read the Bible through in a year uh, guides, just as just a simple thing with things that are available. You know, they've just got the scriptures there and they're available as you leave. I want to encourage you to talk about this with your family. If you have been making it optional, why don't you say to your kids, look, we're sorry. We've been coming and going as we please. We just want to, it's not fair on you and we want to make it every week that we're going to really seek to be here. Why don't you say that to them? Why don't you talk together as husband and wife how you can encourage each other on number one? And you know what? I just long for you to grow in Christ-likeness. I need these two things desperately because without these... I'm quickly like the guy I met at the party, just feeling like God never speaks to me when I'm expecting him to speak when I'm not having time with him daily and I'm not going to church anymore. Um, God wants us to grow like him. Let's pray. Oh, God, we just thank you for not leaving us on our own and, uh, but giving us clear instructions on what's important. And we pray, God, for each other, that we would be those that in the quietness and stillness in the secret places where no one's watching. We're communicating with you. We're reading your word. We're praying. Oh, and God, we pray that you'd help us to make uh, Sunday attendance, our time we're in, in, in community together, just a crucial priority. And God, we just pray that in years and years and years and years to come, we would see the blessing of that in our children. We would see the blessing of that in our, in our family. God, Thank you that you long for us to become more like you. Help us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just wondering in these moments.